and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. Ooh, with authority this week. We've already been recording for an hour, so... I'm all warmed up. Yep, there we go. go. Creep show. So this week we're going to talk about 1982's Creep Show, but before we get into it, how was your week? My week actually went really well. Why does it always surprise me when my week goes well? I don't know. It's always... It's a, really a shame. Right. I It was, it was interesting. I got to um, visit a temple. You did a Mormon temple, a which Mormon is usually verklempt. That's not the word I wanted. Verboten. Is that even a word? Verklempt is the thing that Mike Myers was on the show and then be like, I'm a little verklempt. Oh, okay. I'm going to give you a topic. The Holy Roman Empire was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. <laughs> Discuss. So, uh, the, so we see this huge, beautiful temple up on the hill from our backyard. Yes. And so they had recently done some work on it. And so... Before they rededicated... Before they rededicated... They let the heathens in. They let the heathens in. And I was able to go with a friend of mine who is very much a heathen. And we sat and... Uh, it was actually done almost as an outreach program. You, you watch a, a, a... Are they looking to... Yes. I think they are looking for converts. Change hearts and minds. <laughs> yes. Um, because what they kept emphasizing is uh, the importance of family in the Mormon faith forever and ever. And, but what if your child is gay? Um, I don't know. They didn't answer that question. Mm, but it's we weird because it seems like family becomes significantly less important. We saw two instructional films. <laughs> Oh, and good. Two, I bet the acting in it was on a, really good. One on a big screen and one on a small screen. And <laughs> then we went, we uh, toured the rooms where the dead are baptized, and then, which was a remarkable room. It feels like a consent issue. And there was a, well, you're allowed to, from the afterlife, reject uh, Mormon baptism if you want oh, to. Oh, good. <laughs> as long as it's still enough. <laughs> so that you don't wind up being a Mormon yourself. And then, um, to go into a different part of the, the building, we actually had to wear, and it was really uncomfortable, they had this sort of stand, and people would reach over and put, like, footy socks on you. I was going to say, over, or your was shoes, over your shoes. But they would do it. They wouldn't allow you to do it. So They're like hair nets for your feet, right? Right. I had this uncomfortable... Or shower caps for your feet. Where complete stranger is, is touching my shod feet. And then I got to wander around to all sorts of promise rooms and ceiling rooms and things like that. That's what a marriage has happened. Yes, a marriage forever and ever. And unfortunately, we had just seen The Shining. Oh, so yes, we had. Every time that one of the Mormons emphasized that marriage was forever and ever, I kept thinking, and ever and ever and ever. And Play it was very us, hard Danny. not to break out and start laughing. Don't laugh. Which would be sad because they were very nice people. But I'm anyhow. sure they were. Anyhow, that's what I did, my strange adventure. How was your week? Oh, I've been watching my rights being slowly eroded on the news every night, so not as good as yours. Not oh, okay. as good as yours. Being a woman in the United States right now is um, if, especially as white women, if you don't understand what microaggressions are, um, if you hear people of color talk about microaggressions or black people and black people talk about microaggressions. I feel like this week gives you a good insight as to what microaggressions are. Well, this seems pretty Although damned these aggressive. Are macro, these are maybe a little bit ones. macro. Uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, the Republican parties uh, throughout this country are really letting us know what they think of us, and it's not good. It's nothing good. 
So I've been raging a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, we've been writing uh, for our other show, and I'm working on websites because that's you've been my doing life. an excellent job. No, <laughs> I thank you for that. Uh, so, do you want to talk about this movie? I want to talk about this movie because it was okay. We've seen starting with Brian De Palma's film. A serious, if very weirdly idiosyncratic take on Stephen King. We have seen serious, serious, and serious. And then we've seen a more pop-flavored, but still very serious take on Stephen King. And then a film made by a genius. Now, we're also seeing a film made by a genius. Yes. But he's not taking it seriously at all. There is nothing serious. Also, this isn't a straight adaptation, so it does break the format a little bit, and we'll go into that. So 1982's Creepshow is pulp. It's maybe if you look up pulp in the dictionary, this is what they're talking about. It is just campy and silly with fantastic practical special effects. Yes. Terrible jump scares and weird comics overlays. There there was an attempt when Ang Lee did The Incredible Hulk, his take on The Incredible Hulk. Mm -hmm. He did uh, a lot of deliberate referencing of comic book imagery because he didn't wasn't familiar with the form. Okay. And so he would break things up in split screens to look like panels. Interesting. This film predates that and yes. also predates Dick Tracy, which tried to reduce everything to four colors like an old-fashioned comic strip. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize that, but that makes sense. I haven't seen that movie in uh, many, many a year. This film, I think, predates both and did both things. It broke things up into panels mm-hmm. at times. Yep. At other times, you're watching animated borders around the frame. Mm-hmm. And then there are other times for, for shock effects, they deliberately put like these, I don't even know how to describe it, like these startled images out of a comic book, you know, yes. lines, whatever, behind the actual living actor's head. So it almost, looks like he's jumping out of a panel. Right. Almost like they would do on the old Batman yes. uh, cartoon it or really, uh, live action show in the It took 60s. this to a real extreme. Um, so this uh, movie mm-hmm. was directed by George Romero, which George is why Romero. you indicated genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I would say the creator of the pop culture zombie. Yes, absolutely. What pop culture believes is zombies are are entirely George Romero's doing. Creation, yes. Uh, from Night of the Living Dead. He didn't even call them zombies because no. he was aware there was a difference between the West Haitian zombie and, and did what he was doing. Val Luton's I Walk with a Zombie come out before Night of the Living Dead? It did, but it was very specifically about Indian uh, uh, West right. Indian culture. So. Right, that is a specific thing, mm-hmm. and that zombie is not the zombie that you're thinking of. And if you see of. films that predate this, they all involve voodoo and West Indian religion. Okay. They were all tied. The zo- there was only four That's or five That's where the word movies. comes from. Right. And then, I guess... We just co-opted that word mm-hmm. to indicate this living right. dead. Right, this sort of living corpse that uh, soulless living corpse that eats human flesh. This is and Romero zombies. I should be specific. They are dead, uh-huh. and they are slow. <laughs> right. Those are the things that Rosa, uh, Romero zombies uh, have in common. And beyond that. Today is not the day that we're going to have our zombie discussion, but we could fight about what makes a zombie and what doesn't make a zombie. What uh, his contribution to the world was the modern zombie, but also his. uh, When you watch *Night of the Living Dead*, there's a lot of social commentary to that film. Yes, it was one of the first films, uh, mainstream films, that had a black hero. Yes, and the reason why he was placed as a black hero was the belief Romero's belief that when the shit goes down. 
black people having been on the wrong end of oppression for decades would know what the the fuck to do to know what to do and they're constantly saving these white people we Um, we as white people have hmm. been coddled right we don't expect things to go badly for us and so oftentimes we do not do well when they do now that uh was borne out maybe most famously and most egregiously on the race version of survivor on cbs white team was terrible (laughs) they sort of dissolved i think the quickest didn't they Uh, yeah yeah, they they i think they mixed up the tribes well before they intended to because there were going to be no more white people (laughs) But to also for, to go on, Romero did <clears throat> did a number of movies afterwards, which also the and they're really worth finding. Things like the Crazies, or the original. Um, yeah, the original okay. Crazies was one of his films. Also, oh God, the name just escapes Martin, which was a really interesting character study of a serial killer who who is convinced that he's a vampire from watching old films, and he's able to get other people in on his delusion. But he is plainly a serial killer. Hmm. And it's a really great... Who's to say all vampires aren't... I mean, Mm -hmm. if you're an active vampire, you'd also be a serial killer. Right. But his... (laughs) This is just a... I believe this man's delusion 100%. A teenage boy who is sexually frustrated and he's... Well, that's the bane of the world. It's a great portrait of that character. And you really... It's an interesting film because it's like Psycho in that you want to kind of pull him out of this, but you realize that You're he's like, just oh, horrible. but he has so much potential. Right. A judge would not sentence him harshly because look at the potential this young man has. Right. Hey, he should probably go to prison. He's killing a lot of people, though. Um, Romero also did Monkey Shines, which was one of my favorite oh, that's weird off-the-wall... Oh, bon- Bananas, appropriately enough. It's bananas. Okay, so this so, movie... Uh-huh. Its original release date was May 16th, 1982... At its premiere at the Cannes International Film Festival, which is wild. <laughs> and then it was released uh, theatrically in November, in November, mid-November of 1982. Hey, hey, marketers, hey, psst, do it a month earlier. What are you doing? I wonder if it was up against uh, Halloween 2 or something and they didn't want it to be released at the same time. The budget was eight million, and it made twenty-one million, so pretty good. Pretty good, yeah. Uh, it is a pastiche. It's got uh, it's frame narrative. It's a frame okay. narrative uh, in that we open on a boy reading a comic book. His dad comes in, smacks him across the face, takes his comic book, and throws it away. Then we go into the comic book. Now we've seen this actor before. The actor who plays the asshole dad is. I'm sorry. Oh no! What did you do? I was I was stuck on the other element that I'm trying to. Ted something. Tom Tom, Tom. <laughs> Where's the cast? Uh, There's no cast thing in here. Oh no! Here it is. Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins. Who's uncredited in this film right. because he's such a dick. <laughs> yeah, but we remember him as the manly woman seducer from Halloween Three. That's right. Season of the Witch. The irresistible manly man. He has no mustache in this. So it he's really takes his looks down significantly. jaw is what he and, is. And um, he's got a, a, a texture <laughs> to his face that I don't know if it's like a pockmarked thing or just he's rugged. I don't know. He's rugged. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what guys call rugged good looks. And then there are five 
stories. Now, and do you want to go one at a time? One thing we should bring up first is that we should talk about what it's referencing here, which are EC comics. Right, but do you want to go one at a time? Because each one yes. is sort of a different one at a time. thing. Okay, so, so yes, it's an homage to EC comics. What is EC comics? Excellent comics. I know DC comics. Right, excellent comics. That was what EC stood for. And That's it terrible. was a well, it was not creative. It was a comic book company that uh, began in the '40s to market towards people in the military, military stories. It did suspense stories, romance stories, and horror stories. And the horror stories became really, really popular. Uh, so they did Tales from the Crypt. Tales from the Crypt, and there was also a few others. Um, so the Creep Show, Vault of Horror was another one. The Creep Show um, cover, and the, there's a character mm-hmm. in the movie, sort of, right. a kind of a character, is. I'm going to say no different than the Crypt Keeper. Is it the Crypt Keeper? No, it's sort of referencing that. I don't think they actually. It's a it's a right. skeleton with some flesh on him. Right. But and hair. The comics were done, they had really good artists. Typically they had really brutal endings, like judgmental Old Testament endings. Somebody does something wrong. Or, yeah. I'll give you an example of one that I read when I was a kid that I shouldn't have read. woman is on a lonely road by herself. She's riding home. She's crying. She's on this bench, this isolated road. A killer comes up and tries to stab her. She says, no, don't. And he kills her. Then he cooks her up and eats her, only to open the letter that she was reading, which was a doctor's diagnosis saying that she had an incurable disease. So now the cannibal man is going to die in an incurable disease. That was the kind of story you got. Although, pro tip, <laughs> most incurable diseases are not communicated that way. But I was eight years old. So the thing Mad is, cow, however, totally is. <laughs> what, they were filled with all sorts of weird judgments like I'm this. like, is it that she had AIDS? <laughs> and well, then, yes, it then. basically is. Well, yeah, in the 50s, yeah. then that wasn't but a thing. the EC comics were very popular up until the 50s when someone published a book called Seduction of the Innocent. And there was a congressional hearing on the dangers of children reading these books with their graphic illustrations and stories about cannibalism and murder. So then the backlash... Also, rap is bad and also video games. Right. So this led to the foundation of the Comic, Books, Comic Book Magazine Association of America and the Comics Code Authority, which were the watchdogs for comic books. The this is the MPAA of comic books. Right. Of comic books. And it used to be that you wouldn't buy a comic book when I was a kid unless it had that symbol in the upper right-hand corner that said it had been approved and it didn't have unnecessary, unnecessary amounts of violence and sex in it. What is a necessary amount of violence and or sex? I don't know. It was a system that went by the wayside eventually. Well, you know, yeah. I especially think with the birth of the graphic novel. That's true. And I think that they uh, comics started sort of self-separating mm-hmm. into comics with an X and comics right. with a CS. And comics with an X is where a lot of the sex lives. Right. And, you know, extreme violence, things like that. So this is... Um, Directed by George Romero, Tom Savini, who makes a cameo in the film, right. uh, did the effects, and they're so good. They are really good. <laughs> and Stephen King wrote the screenplay. Who also appears in the film. He also Starring appears Stephen King. Starring Stephen now, King. Now, something I mentioned when we saw the beginning of the film is like, this is a an amazing cast. The cast <laughs> is really great, and I do think that the story 
the vignettes, mm-hmm. each story really, like the ones that I liked are the ones that are better acted. Right. We'll say that. So let's start. With Father's Day? With Father's Day. Okay. So this is an original story by Stephen King written for the film, I should say. Um, there are three people. One of them is the youngest of Ed Harris's. He's so young. Uh, he Ed and his... Harris. Oh, no, I guess there are four people. Ed Harris as opposed to later Ed Hairless. Oh, mean. Yeah. His hair was like mid-head. <laughs> it wasn't gone. It was like mid, mid-head. Uh, he and his wife, her brother, and their aunt mm-hmm. are sitting at, uh, in an old house, big fancy house, waiting for... Their great aunt, basically, mm-hmm. to come home. It's Father's Day. They're going to have a ham. That great aunt is, um, they tell a story uh, that seven years ago she killed her father, all of their patriarch, Nathan Grantham, uh, after he had her husband killed. And now they're waiting for her to come back, and they're going to eat a ham in celebration. She's going to show up at six, sit at the grave for an hour, and she says to meditate, which involves some Jim Beam and some swearing at Dad. Uh, And then she'll come in, and they will eat. And then we see her drive up, clearly already drunk, so that's great. Uh, And she goes out to the grave. And after she is done drinking and swearing, dad comes up out of the ground. Now, apparently, it's taken seven years <laughs> for him to claw his way out. He was very old. He <laughs> kills her. He strangles her. And then people are like, I'm getting hungry. I'm going to go look for people. And slowly, they start getting one, knocked get... off. Right. So Ed Harris, he gets knocked off. Then... I believe... Well, first, the aunt dies. The aunt, then, right, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Ed Harris. He, he dies, she dies, and then he goes looking for her, and he gets smushed by the gravestone that is pushed over on top of him. Uh-huh. And then... I believe the aunt goes to look for them, and... Meets. But first she goes into the back of the house and sees that the lights are off in the kitchen and there's dirty steps or like dirty footprints. She goes to open the kitchen and then we see the maid has been killed and then she sees the corpse of the dad and he kills her. And then the kids go to look for them and then he comes out with what appears to be the aunt's head on a tray with frosting on it. Yeah. And he's singing about how he has his cake. It's the Father's Day, and it's his cake, and he deserves it, and it's his cake, and he's got his cake, and it's Father's Day, which has been his mantra the whole time. It's why she got he got killed in the first place. So I don't love this one. <laughs> okay. Would this you... feels like, like a bad version of a Twilight Zone. Do you want me to tell you what my problems are with it, just to let you know. 
Sure. It doesn't make a damn lick of sense. No, it doesn't. There's, it doesn't even follow the old comic books in which a bad person does a bad thing and gets bad things happen to them. Right. Because the dad is an asshole to start with. I want my cake. It's like yeah, he's screaming, pie. bring me my cake, give me my cake, also, it's my he cake. Murdered I, the it's... aunt's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. All right, to start with. So yeah. he was in the wrong all the way around. All the way around. Now, one of the things that, that I found terribly funny about this segment was that it's very much like, and this is going to sound very insulting, so I'm sorry, Stephen King, but I'm sure it was intentional. It sounds very much like a poor person's idea of what rich people do. It does. You know, Weirdly, though, I'm pretty sure this is exactly what the fuck happens in the Trump there household. Is the <laughs> there is the elderly aunt, right? Who sits around telling these she stories? She is a bit. She calls her her niece a hog. A hog. There's the horny niece. It's very horny. Very oh, just horny. having a dance party. There, there's like what? some sexy dancing, completely without rhythm, with her and Ed Harris. Mm-hmm. Okay, because the all, whitest dancers that all ever. All of her appetites are big. Wink, wink. And then there is the very effeminate brother who is the dissipated yes. gay man out of a like a Tennessee Williams. It was story. really it, it, he like, was very Tennessee Williams. Lounge and drink, and I'm like, so I'm like, and then they're gonna have a ham. This is so weird. They're like, gonna eat a can a candied, a candied ham. This is very much the idea glazed ham that, like I said, poor people have of what rich people are like and what they do. You yeah, know? no, that's what it feels like. And but it then, feels ooh. I think there might be a segment in, what's the one with the paintings? Night gallery? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a night gallery corollary to this one. There might be. I I can't remember one that's quite, this one was really out in the. It's kind of like the one where the guy keeps coming closer and closer in the painting. It's kind of like that. But um, um, like the the whole oh, setting much, and that, everything, yeah, that yeah. was much better. <laughs> the thing that I really loved about this, and he tried really hard, the uh-huh. effects, you know, Tom uh-huh. Savini. The problem with the um, skeleton is, which is the corpse of Grandpa. The right? corpse of Grandpa is that it is just a full head mask. Mm-hmm. So it's this huge skeleton. His head would have been so big if this is the skeleton to his head, just because it's it had to go on over the actor's head, that it it just throw the proportions of it just throw me off. Like I needed him to be in a bigger suit or something to like make his head not look so big. I think that it might have been partly deliberate in that a person's actual skull is so small that they wanted to make it big and monstrous. Maybe. Because it didn't, and it, the, the the head itself is literally call, crawling with live maggots. It it's is. There are, gross yeah, kinda, it's, uh, it's gross. Yeah, but <laughs> it, this segment actually did make me laugh, especially the sexy dancing part. Um, because it was, again, so, it was just, I, maybe it was, no, it must have been intentionally funny. I don't think that this was done on purpose, or uh, he was doing this seriously. Yeah. None of it can be said to be serious. Mm-hmm. But Vivica Lindfors, <laughs> who is an old school actress, does really, does have a lot of fun as Bedelia Grantham. And she, her scene at her, um, at, uh, it's her grandfather, right? Her grand- yes, it was at, her grandfather. Her yeah. grandfather's tomb. She actually does some real acting. Oh, no, it was her, that was her father. Her father. Yeah. She does some actual acting. She's, you know, she's really... She's acting her face off. Right, but she's really good. And you, oh, here's an actual old school movie star. And however, she's one of several old school movie stars who are graced this film with, like, going over the top. 
it's as if to say they always wanted to go over the top. But here, look, there's no top to go over. It's going to be wild. Just do whatever the yeah. hell you want. Yeah, no, it was, they, they really kept it at an 11. Yeah. So. Um, Speaking of which. Then we've got The Lonesome Death of Jordy Vero, based on a short story called Weeds by Stephen King. It is a one-man show. <laughs> yes. It is a one-man... Well, there's another character in it, but it's mostly... There is, but it's a, it's a one-man piece, and that one man is Stephen King. <laughs> so, Stephen King is that man. And I'm pretty sure that um, Vincent D'Onofrio was really channeling this character when he was playing Edgar in the first Men in Black movie. So, Jordy yeah. Vero is a farmer in overalls. I don't know if they bucked his teeth or if he really I had think they that. I have exaggerated his teeth. teeth. I don't know. Um, I know that his teeth are extra, <laughs> but I don't know if they're this extra. Um, and there's a meteor, and it lands in his on his land, and he fancies that he will take this meteor to the local college, to the meteor department, and sell it to them for $200 to pay off his bank loan. So it's super hot, and he burns himself, and then he puts his burnt fingers in his mouth, and I'm like, this is all going to be terrible. And then it splits in half. Oh, he pours water on it. Right, to cool it down. To cool it down. Because And it bright. splits in half, and then he's like, well, now they're not going to give me enough money because I brought them a broken meteor. And then... As he stomps off, claiming that he's going to glue it back together. Yes, he's like, he says, maybe I can glue it back together tomorrow. So he so, puts the broken pieces in a pail, and then puts the pail on his porch and uh, goes in for the evening. Why he keeps picking this up with his bare hands, I don't know. I don't know. You'd think Stephen he'd have King, some more gloves. Jordy, Jordy Verrill? Not no. a genius. So then he is drinking and watching TV, and he looks down at his fingers, and there is a green stuff growing on them, mm-hmm. like mold. And he, like, panics and puts his puts him in his mouth and then realizes that he did that earlier, and he goes and he looks in the mirror, and there's green growing on mm-hmm. his tongue. And then we go through the evening, and he's more covered in green, and there's more. And then we see out in the yard, green is covering the track. The track because I don't know. We mentioned that there's like a liquid inside the meteorite. There was. I don't know if that was a liquid inside the meteorite or if that was the water that did something. It's like a geode. Yes, I think. And then it just it's there's stuff inside, and this is what's causing, uh, you know. Badly needs roundup. I'm yes, thinking. so he's getting covered in weeds. He's got now a beard of weed. He finds some vodka to drink, um, and that knocks him out. And when he wakes up, it's not better; it's worse. And he goes to take a bath, cautioned by the ghost of his father that that's what the fucking parasite wants. Like that's what the plants really? want is water. And he's like, I don't care. And it feels real good. And he gets in there, and it feels real good. And then the next morning. Both he and his farm are completely covered in this dense layer of bright, it's the brightest green, <laughs> like the brightest I'll green word for it. plants. And he asks for his luck to come in just once and takes a shotgun and blows his brain out. Blows off the top of his head. 
Presumably he died. The uh, weather forecast announces that heavy rains are predicted, and the audience is left with a dire expectation that this is just going to take over all of Maine, because, of course, they're in Maine. <laughs> this is like... Well, uh, it says, like, the, with the upcoming rains, Maine is going to turn green in an astounding... Or like, with astounding quickness or something, and you see this green mm-hmm. creeping towards town, so... The rain in Maine falls mainly on the plain. And on Jordy Verrill, who's dead. He died. So, so what did you think of it? I thought he was actually better than I thought he was going to be. Legitimately. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Um, it felt very much like a Stephen King story. Like a very early Stephen King mm-hmm. story. And so I was down with it. And I did like the effects. I liked the placement of the weeds. It wasn't all in expected places necessarily. Right. And I think it was, what, a grand total of ten minutes? This it was very it was very short. It seems to me to be almost a parody of H.P. Lovecraft, the color out of space. Oh, really? Okay. The meteorite that lands and contaminates the ground and turns everything to dust. And in this case, it's like it does the exact opposite. Right. And it's like he took that idea for the story and just did it to comic effect. And he really mm-hmm. does whoop it up. He, he does. He seems to be having He's a good time. He's just a yeehaw, right. aw shucks. Right. Overall wearing motherfucker. <laughs> right. I, I'm looking at him going, wow, this, you just, like everything in this movie, it goes big. Also, <laughs> his voice is like a weirdly higher pitched than I think right. it's going to be because he's like a tall dude and yeah. I expect his voice to be higher or lower than it is. So, uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's a short little piece. I think it works fine. I think it's, I like it better than the first one. Mm-hmm. So, there we are. Well, it made sense. But yeah. it, once yeah. again, like an EC comic, it was just about some poor hick who just, like, his only fault is being stupid. He's and, just not. Right. Even though he says Abigail Verrill never, didn't raise no idiots, I'm like, mm, I choose to disagree. Yeah. <laughs> so, the next one, third one, is something to tide you over. And this was where we got our big guns. Mm-hmm. We've got a Leslie Nielsen and a Ted Danson in the Battle of the Jawlines, who will win? So Leslie Nielsen wakes up a sleeping Ted Danson from his very fancy apartment, and uh, we find out that Ted Danson was doing the dirty with Leslie Nielsen's wife, Becky, and um, he says he's harming, he's going to hurt her unless he comes with him, basically. Mm-hmm. And so at uh, he, Ted Danson goes with him, gets in his Jeep. They drive, they drive to a place, the beach. They drive to the beach. And then at gunpoint, Leslie Nielsen makes Ted Danson bury himself to the neck in the sand, which I guess he sure can only bury that. so much, and then he had to do the rest of it. This is a private beach. The tide is coming in. Uh, and he says that once he's incapacitated, he'll show him where Becky is. And he sh- yeah, he brings out a television <laughs> and plays it. A, a, we should a mention giant... he's a very techie guy for this. He pers- really yeah. is. Um, he brings out a giant TV and puts it in the sand in front of Ted Danson with the longest extension cord that ever existed, or like 400 of them tied, tied together or something, mm-hmm. and shows uh, Ted Danson a video or live feed. It's unclear. It's a live feed, I think. It's always oh, it? I think. Of 
the water coming in. The tide coming in and, and tide coming in and drowning Becky, mm-hmm. who is also buried up to her neck right. in the sand. So then he's like, I'm going to leave you here, and you both are going to die. Ha ha. You can't get one over on me. He talks about how he is just not sane when it comes to things that are his. Yeah. Apparently, his wife is a possession. A possession. Yeah. And so now he needs to, you know, get rid of the possession and the possession's new owner. That's not good. <laughs> so he goes back to the house and waits for the tide to do its job. And um, there are cameras on him so he he can watch it happen as it's happening there's a lot of voyeurism in this is a lot yeah and so he's there and he's like oh it's all done and then he goes to take a shower but meanwhile we've seen ted danson totally covered by water or like look into the thing and go i'm gonna get you mm-hmm. Richard vickers i'm gonna get you and uh so later then He's in the shower and he hears some noises and he comes out of the shower and he looks and coming through the door is Ted Danson. He's blue and wrinkly like a corpse. Uh-huh. And Becky, who's also blue and wrinkly like a corpse. Oh, I should say earlier he had gone back out to where the tide had gone out again and he finds the TV and he finds uh, the pail that they use right. to scoop the the sand out and and a the shovel and whatnot. Pail, it is a small pail, uh, but he doesn't find the bodies, and he figures the tide washed them away. And I'm right. like, that makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> like the reason that you bar- they wouldn't be buried up to their necks, and then one tide washes them away. That's not how tides work. Uh, and you know this, but he was like, well, it's one. Now I don't have to do anything. It's one less problem I have. So I'm gonna go back. A- to have a drink and take a shower. And then, yeah, the the waterlogged bodies of his wife and his wife's lover come in. Uh-huh. And they're really good. I really like the makeup on this one. You can, like, tell it's Ted Danson right. under this really thick blue, like, um, there's a lot of appliances on his face mm-hmm. to add extra face, like, or extra, um, like, like he puffed up, like, like he sucked like he up the wall, like a splunt, right. like a like, right. Because mm, I don't know if you know this, but bodies that are in water don't do good. They it's gross. So uh, and then he comes and then the, then they kill him. No, they bury him. He's firing gunshots at them, and then it pans right. away. And the gunshots, I don't think, will work because they're all. Right. Well, he, uh, the Leslie Nielsen's character also goes insane just before. That's this. right, and then they they bury him up to the thing, and the the posing shot is him up to his neck, just like I can hold my breath for a long time, and I'm like, not that long. <laughs> so, how did you feel about this one? The acting was so good. Mm-hmm. Like it was real. Like they were. Everybody was really good. I mean, I don't know about Becky. She mostly screamed. Because she, we see when we see her, she's already being drowned. So it was not. How did a lot. you feel about about um, Leslie Nielsen? He's. I love him. I but like I mean, him so this much. This is the reason, the way I remember Leslie Nielsen. Serious. Right. He not was a, joking. a villain in lots of television programs. When I didn't I was a know kid. he was villainous. Uh-huh. I knew he was very handsome as a younger man. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know that he was a villain a lot. He did a lot of villain parts on television. 
He's uh, good at it. Yeah, and he, he was. And so watching him, he did uh, the movie Nuts with Barbara Streisand. And this was already after he started his comic career, where he just sort of blew up as a comedian. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that film, he plays a John who, had, who assaults uh, a prostitute, who was played by Barbara Streisand. And in that movie, he just goes all out. Like, he was, he wanted to remind people, oh, this is what I used to do. Look how good I am. Uh. <laughs> um, in this one, it was really funny, though, watching him here, do, do the whole interaction with Ted Danson. But this is a place where you get really impressed with both the performers. I don't know who... Yeah, the, the acting was great. Galen Ross one. is, the woman who played Becky. But the idea of... Having this water rushing over your face. Oh yeah, it looked it like looked, it. Well, it was like they were being waterboarded. It right. was really, it was rough. It was hard to watch because it looks like they're really being drowned, and I, I, I can't imagine what that must have been like doing this part, you know. And the other thing is the makeup effects that Tom Savini pulls off. There's a point because again, remember this is a practical effect for those of you in the audience who they come in through the door. Leslie Nielsen's character pulls a gun, shoots them, and you see That's right. a hole pop open and like liquid pour out. It's not blood. It's just like ooze or something. Yeah, and they're just like, you can't shoot the dead, Richard, because they're already dead. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. But it was kind of startling thinking how uh, that's that's what I miss from old school, from modern special effects, where I used to get with the old school, like, how did they do that? Like, wow, that's amazing. They just sort of, it popped open and there's blood pouring out and everything. And and this is an actual person's face while they're moving and walking. So it was a remarkable special effect. And I'm not sure where this story came from. Um, something to tide you over mm-hmm. is not, I, I, I don't know if it was based on another one of his stories or uh, or if it was original to the... Original for the film. Original for the film. It's unclear to me. Uh, but it was in the Creep Show um, graphic novel or, you know, graphic t- book tie in. Okay, so next. This movie is two hours long and a good 50 min- minutes of it is in the fourth segment, yeah. I think. It's very long. It's called The Crate, based on a short story by Stephen King called The Crate. There we go. <laughs> um, think. Is it Species? It takes place like on a college campus. And it, um, I want to say in the 90s. And it was the thing that's in it is, I think, a woman. And I always think that it's Species, and I'm always wrong. So is you it the think relic? Mimic? Is it the relic? It might be the relic. And the thing comes out of the box eventually, but it might be the relic. It might be the relic. It's in the museum? Yes, 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 yes. Yes, the relic. That's what I'm thinking of. Think the relic. (laughs) All right, there we go. (laughs) When you think crate, right? the crate, right? So this one's got Hal Holbrook, and we love him, and um, what's her name? Uh, Adrian Adrian Barbeau. Barbeau, And and we don't love her. No, she's she's not good. She's a monster. No, she's, her performance is good. She's, oh yeah, no, she's great. She's a beautiful woman. Who plays just the most disgusting? She's like the ugliest from, person, right? And she she does it so that you begin to physically find her unattractive, forgetting. Wait, is that Adrian Barbeau? No, it isn't. And the whole thing is, Hal Holbrook's a college professor. Adrian Barbeau's her his 
terrible drunkard wife who is a just all of the stereotypes of bad wife. Right. This Every woman one of is. Them. Uh, she treats him like crap. She drinks too much. She gossips loudly in front of the people that she's gossiping about, which that's wild. She clearly makes everyone around her uncomfortable, but presumes that she is always in the right and is the most together and with it person yeah. that there is. She is the person who fantasizes that she's keeping it real in this academic environment. No, she's the worst. So, and she just and how Holbrook people what crotch? What does she call? She does. Yeah, she calls somebody. Yeah, no, she it's calls a woman a crotch. I'm like, whoa, there we go. That's new heights and vulgarity. His name, her name is Wilma, but you're supposed to call her Billy. Billy. I don't. I barely know how you get, like. Bob from Robert. I don't know how you get Billy from Wilma, but okay. Her husband, Hal Holbrook, who's lovely and adorable and has the cutest face, keeps dreaming of ways to kill her. Yeah, he's like Walter Mitty. He's constantly thinking of like, <laughs> and his fantasies are, they're really violent, but kind of funny at the same time. People applaud when he, when he decides to finally shoot Wilma in the head. And, and again, it's just a fantasy he's having. He it's, yes, it's just a fantasy. So they, at the college, a, um, a janitor happens upon a crate, mm-hmm. the titular crate, which has a date on it from 1834, Arctic mm-hmm. ex- Expedition, June 19th, 1834. When the crate is finally opened, it reveals a Yeti-like creature but with big, big, big teeth mm-hmm. who devours people basically whole. Yes, and where it puts them, we don't know. We don't know. Because it's so not particularly big. It devours an entire janitor and then Hal Holbrook's buddy finds it. Which is played by Fritz Weaver. Fritz Weaver. And well he is having an illicit affair with a student, it looks like, mm. uh, who is eaten. The student is eaten, Fritz Weaver is fine. Then Hal Holbrook is called in uh-huh. and he's like well, I mean, if this thing's eating people, maybe uh, maybe I could use it to my advantage. <laughs> hey, Wilma, you should come down to the thing right now. You should come down to the college. I want to show you something. Yes. So come down here. I want to show it to he you. He lures her with promises of a really juicy, abusive scandal. That's right. The idea that she thinks that his friend has been hitting this girl and that she is too scared to come out and she's back in this little area. And meanwhile... It's under a staircase where Harry Potter doesn't live. No, different different staircase. Here it's a monster. It's a monster. And finally, after he like pushes her against the crate and is like, come out, 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 come out. And she's like, you're a fucking idiot. Why am I even married to you? You wouldn't be anything without me. And then it comes out and then much, 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 much. it comes out after like the... Worst possible insult she gives him, which is, you're not even a man. When's the last time you got it up? That's (laughs) right. When was the last time you were a man in our bed? I was like, this woman. It's like, how could anybody be a man in the bed? You already take that position. (laughs) And then the thing gets back in its box, because Mm -hmm. I guess it likes it in there. And then he manages to re-close it up. Re-close it up up with chains and padlocks. With chains and padlocks. And then he puts it in the car, drives it to the quarry. Pushes it into the quarry where it sinks to the bottom, and then he goes back and tells his friend, so here's what happened. Right. You're not going to tell anyone, 
and we're going to play chess like nothing fucking ever happened. I'm like, you should probably, though, like, um, file a missing persons report so it doesn't look too suspicious. Everybody else is fine. The janitor's family can file mm. whatever they're going to file, and this dude probably shouldn't file a missing persons report on the woman that he was likely having an illicit affair with. Uh, but she's probably got family or roommates or something. But you definitely need to file one on your wife. Well, the story, it doesn't make a great deal of sense because it's like a a horrid jack-in-the-box. It jumps out, it, it grabs is. somebody. And like, where do they go? Does he just, like, absorb them? And, that and was then... the thing because he says, I yeah. bought, I, you know, I drove out there with the bodies, with three bodies, and right. I don't know where they were. Right. Like, I don't understand how it does that. And the monster, also, its proportions are really it's weird. Its proportions are bananas. It looks like it has, like, a huge upper body and teeny little, weeny little le- hind legs or something. I don't think, I don't know that it has a bottom. I think it might only be the top. Yeah, it's a very, it's, <laughs> the monster itself is... Because it doesn't ever leave the box. It right. just comes out, munch, 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 and then, like, goes back in. I don't, yeah, I, I'm not sure how it's supposed to work. It and then his friend is sense. like, well, what happens if it gets out? And he's like, it won't get out. It's buried under 70 feet of water. And I'm like, that thing had a date from 1834. So. This monster is nothing if not resilient. <laughs> right? It and so then we see it in the, bot- in the water, and then mm-hmm. we never see it. But only its face. So, so once again, we mm-hmm. don't know what the... Maybe it's myrrh on the bottom. Right. Maybe it wanted to get back to water. Maybe it's got a fishtail. <laughs> What I found funny is, as we're watching the movie, you're making jokes like, ooh, is it a woolly mammoth? Is it the abominable snowman? It's like, is it a yeti? It it was more or less a yeti. It was more or less a yeti. At least half a yeti. It it had white fur Uh and big teeth. Right. But this one, like, it was a 50-minute thing. Mm -hmm. Like, it was long. Well, there was a lot of story to it. And I think that Fritz Weaver, who is a really good actor, and Hal Holbrook, who is a really good actor... Mm -hmm. And then surprisingly, Adrian Barbeau, who just makes you forget this woman was a sex symbol, and just totally she goes wretched in, in the this. opposite direction and just plays hideous. Um, she actually was surprisingly good. I'm surprised by how because you know it generally um, she was cast for her looks, so the that she just wanted to go with this part. Yeah, she's the ugly. I mean, not physically ugly, but like. Every other ugly that you right. can be. She's she loud. Was. She's coarse. She's vulgar. She, but again, playing a kind of person that all of us have met at one time or another. Billy exists. She's a real person, and we all have known a Billy at one point or another. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. So, how did you feel about the performances and everything? Oh, I thought it was good. I was falling asleep when we were watching this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very exhausted, and, this is not the fault and of I the needed segment. food. No, it wasn't. It right. was just me being tired, but I rewinded it a little, rewound it a little, and rewatched the parts that I missed. I don't think it needed to be as long as it was. Uh-huh. Like I think they probably could have cut probably ten minutes out of it. It would have made more sense to stop seeing so many people get eaten too. I think. Yeah. It, or I don't need full backstory. Like if uh-huh. if this person's just gonna get eaten, mm-hmm. like the the uh, why we needed to have this girl sleeping with her. Well, why we needed to have the one college student who just that's happened what to be I in mean. the campus. Oh, it wasn't. The guy that... with glasses. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, see, you could forget it. Like, you could drop him out of the story and it wouldn't make you know, a difference. Yeah. But the fact that he was, he's in the story and he suddenly contributes a lot. And 
I really felt for the janitor. I didn't know who this other random kid was, and it just they kept going. Yeah, it was. It it didn't. Yeah, it didn't need to continue as much as it did. And in a story, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But in a segment in the film, they probably could have cut ten minutes out because I just think two hours is long for a horror movie. Uh, yeah. So then the last one. They're creeping up on you, which I really liked. It's so weird. It's disgusting. So, yeah, I know. I was like, you're going to hate this. I appreciate it, but it was disgusting. (laughs) So there is a... uh, It opens on a picture of a very sterile-looking room that is all Mm -hmm. white with a jukebox in it. So my brain automatically is like, what's happening because i guess a jukebox is a thing you could just own and put in your house but that seems very strange to me um but that is what has happened this man upton pratt upson 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 pratt Pratt, uh is a wealthy head of uh some sort of corporation that eats other corporations a carnivorous corporation yes kind of like a box where you keep a monster (laughs) in the arctic and he has germophobia and he is in his a penthouse apartment that, like I said, is all white except this jukebox. And he has like a like a built-in vacuum trash thing where like you'd put like a tissue and it, it would just get sucked, sucked away. Right. And he's he's killed a roach. And he is calling around to get the the building maintenance involved and getting a an exterminator there it's it's nighttime mm-hmm. it's like 10 o'clock at night or something and he's also uh, informed by one of his employees that their purchase of this company went through and the owner of that company has killed themselves like that evening yeah and he is like the epitome of capitalism he's just like First of all, this penthouse apartment apparently is $3,200 a month. It's very deeply upsetting because that's what it costs to rent anything in Oakland now. <laughs> uh, I know. It's like, oh, he could get a studio for that. I know. Yeah, right. Oh, so upset. He could get a one-bedroom for, for $3,200. You could get a one-bedroom. God damn it. Uh, and, but he is just railing against basically everyone, how he is the richest and how he... He's a very Darwinian philosophy. It's yeah. survival of the fittest. If other people die or commit suicide it's because not my fucking Now, now I don't, at least we don't have to pay him a severance. That right. was his response to the suicide. He gets reached out to by uh, the, the widow and she's like, I hope you burn in hell. And, she's, and he's like, you're a dumb bitch. I mean, basically. <laughs> not he might exactly. actually say that to her. He might... He is very loose with his language, too. And um, he finds more roaches slithering in the windows, and he finds some in his food, and he's, like, demanding. He talks to, oh, he says some racially insensitive things to the, to the ironically black. named Mr. White. Yes, Mr. White. Who's black. The black maintenance pe- person who's, like, Kind of mocking him, like, yes, oh, you find like, another bug in Mr. there, huh? Mr. White's character is very much, he's like a black man playing into the stereotype mm-hmm. to mess with. Yeah, it's a very, yeah, yeah massa. He does a very, yeah, he yeah. does a very shuffle kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just, 
It's very funny. Go ahead, because I I really like this episode um, of the film. And then he, uh, it just keeps getting worse and worse with more and more bugs, and he's screaming and ranting and trying to spray them. And then he goes into like he's got like a panic bedroom, like that's supposed to be hermetically with sealed. Transparent walls. And then it's he sees move him in under. He gets on in there, and he oh because there's a rolling blackout, mm-hmm. um, which was apparently is a thing that is happening here because he's like another one and so he goes into his special sealed area after being basically covered in roaches and then he pulls back the blanket and the bed is covered in roaches at which point he has a fatal heart attack and then we come back later and we see the the apartment and it is spotless there's not a roach in sight and then we see his corpse out of out of which <laughs> roaches burst and crawl all over. It was a very interesting and disturbing special effect. It was. They used a dummy, uh-huh. which would have been 100% fine if they hadn't shown the open eyes. I wonder if that was deliberate, now that I think about it. So it that is, you knew that it was, it was a, an effect? It was really disturbing looking. It was. the When they did show close-ups of mm-hmm. like the temples yeah. and the throat area, right. it looked real. Yeah. And then they showed you know it, a dummy's open eyes, basically. Right. And you're like, but okay, well, that's clearly they've traded out the I actor. I don't know how, again, it was like how he did that, but they literally burst through the skin. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was it was disgusting. Yeah, it was disgusting. So, so how did you feel about this one? This one was very weird because we were in a very surreal uh-huh. space that I couldn't really get my bearings around. And, you know, I am... I knew kind of from the beginning that this man clearly is not seeing the things that he's seeing. Like, this is in his head. Uh... Although it turns around and then there are roaches. <gasps> what does that mean? Uh, it means that he's a fucking horrible person and that's what should happen to billionaires. Right. I don't know. Eat the rich. That's what I think. <laughs> well, something did. Uh, I don't love just watching a, a, a complete asshole be a complete asshole for 15 minutes. And that's basically what this was. So I didn't love it. And I also am not germaphobic. So it didn't like gross me out. In a way, I mean, if I see that many roaches in real life, I'm going to fucking freak out. But if they're on television, it doesn't bother me. So this one didn't really do it for me. But I knew that you were either going to love it or hate it because I know that you have issues with germs. Okay. You're not this guy. No, but <laughs> I'm not. I really like this episode. For one, it did feel like a Twilight Zone. Yeah, I could see where that. Where someone's yeah. giving a moral judgment on it, uh, for sure. on the character. The right person gets right, it in gets the it. end Unlike of this Unlike the one. very first episode, like Happy Birthday or Happy Father's Day, where like everyone's an asshole and one of the assholes actually gets to you know, get away with it. Right. And I would say that in Father's Day, the wrong people get it, mm-hmm. or not everyone who gets it deserves right. it. Same thing with Jordy Verrill. Right. Um, something to tide you over. I mean, depends on how moral you want to get. Right. They were adulterers. Although, to be fair, Ted Danson didn't know anybody anything. Right. He's just a single man living his life. Unless he went after a married woman. I don't know. That wasn't indicated. The crate, innocent people and bad people get it. Yeah. Uh, but in this one, one person gets it and he deserves it. <laughs> well, what I like, E.G. Marshall was a huge voice in radio. 
And in hearing his voice, you can understand that he was a huge voice in radio. He was a huge, uh, he was a figure in early television a lot too. And he's great in this part. Um, and that's good because it's mostly him. I th- what he's trying to recall is images of Howard Hughes near the end of his life, who lived in a sterile environment and was terrified of germs. So I think that's what they were going for, the Howard right. Hughes figure. Okay. And I think that's kind of, that's going to be missed on audiences who aren't familiar with that, because that was, yeah. that for us, growing up watching this movie, that was a decade before is when that was happening. He locked yeah. himself in a, a sealed environment and refused to touch anything because he was terrified of germs. So I think that's who he was channeling. Uh, but E.G. Marshall really eats up this part. He really is great. And there's a lot of goofy stuff with him talking to Mr. White through this through this glass window, the small circular glass window that distorts the image of the person on the other side. Um, and so they come across as this weird kind of like really large teeth and eyes and things. It's really very funny. But uh, yeah, I really liked it. I like watching an actor act and just sort of going for it. And the visual effects here were really disturbing they were that is right there's so much also the road trangler had a ton of work to do man they had a shit ton of real well there's a room full of roaches at one point yeah literally there's a the the the, his panic room has glass walls and it looks like two solid feet of roaches oh here let me see uh david brody Mm -hmm. Uh, wait, ray mendez an entomologist with the american museum of natural history and david brody provided two um, 20,000 cockroaches. Oof. Yeah. Many of the apparent incense were actually nuts and raisins, as <laughs> specified by Tom Savini. You gotta make you filler. It's filler. Well, right. when it's a bunch and it's just a moving mass, you can mm. bulk that mass up by putting nuts and raisins in. Mm. And I wonder how much of it was actually with the actor. Because there was a lot of clever editing here, and I was looking at it going, yeah. how much of this was, you know, <laughs> yeah. this very prominent actor actually having... But he did, he did seem to go for it, though. He was he probably did a lot of scenes with actual roaches. <laughs> yeah. And then the last thing is the closing of the wraparound frame segment. narrative. Right. Uh, two garbage collectors, one of whom is Tom, Tom Savini. Savini. We both were like, that's Tom Savini, because <laughs> right. we both know what that man looks like. It's the mustache. If he ever got rid of it, I wouldn't be able to pick him out of a lineup, probably. Uh, Find the comic book uh, in the trash. They look at the uh, ads for extra specs, and they are like, oh, a voodoo doll. But then they said, oh, no, that one's already been used. And then in the house, asshole dad is at the table, and he's like, ow, my neck hurts. And she's like... Do you want some aspirin or something? He's like, I don't know. And then he's like, ah, my throat hurts. And then we see the boy, of course, in his room, stabbing the voodoo doll that has a, his dad's shirt on it. And he's going to kill him. Or hurt him a lot. The end! Asshole dad gets it in the end. So what, what do you think? What do you think of the movie as a whole? As a whole? I think uh, it's real fun. It's long. I wish it was 20 minutes shorter. Right. It's long. Two hours is long. Yeah. For a runtime for a film, but I the acting is really good. Like you said, the the effects were really really very good. Um, this was the number one grossing horror film for Warner Brothers that year. Wow, that's easy to understand. It's a lot so of fun. That's pretty good. It's I like the idea that you can laugh with it and laugh at it. At and it, it's inviting all sorts of humor to it. It is. Um, 
I wish more, uh-huh. more of the people who get it deserve it. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was a- like if you're gonna be telling these moral stories, I'd like you to do that. If not, that's fine. But you you seem to be doing that. So <laughs> I think the last segment is the one that really got it right in terms of yeah. Here's the person who deserved it, and here's the person who got it. And that's another one that I don't know where the original story came. Like, if it's an mm-hmm. adaptation, I'm looking it up and seeing if I can find out. They're telling me that it's in Creepshow. Yes, I know. I think it's just written directly for this, it looks like. Well, I think overall I enjoyed the experience. Again, it was very funny going from the sublime to the ridiculous. Mm-hmm. We went from Stanley Kubrick to George Romero just being silly. But I I like how silly it was. I like the panels. I like the fact that they're animated segments. I really like that too. The visuals of the movie the were all really was good. Really good, and the art direction, the the use of only the specific colors that you would get in a comic book. Uh, overall, at least that was the prominent colors that were highlighted. The fact that people like Richard Gere and Gwen Verdon and then BD show up as voices or as background characters. Mm-hmm. Just really like, what made Richard Gere? This is not pre-fame Richard Gere either. What made him go just like I, I think I'll just be a voice from a television and creep show. You know, these are actual actors who are. You know, this isn't like on the. Beatty certainly wasn't on his way to become famous. We saw that with uh, right with um, Deliverance. Yeah. So I, I there's a, and then there's lots of neat little in jokes for people like Stephen King. There's a wrestler, mm-hmm. Bachman is mm-hmm. his name, and then at one point during a faculty party, Tabby is uh, yes introduced. It's Tabby, like, my it's name, Tabitha. My name is Tabitha, Tabitha, yeah, which is King's wife, Tabitha King. Um, but yeah, and I wonder if that was meant to be like Tabitha King. Oh, I bet it was because it. Tabby she goes by Tabby, right. or she did, and it's a faculty uh, like he would have been when he was yeah you know, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Maybe to go, this is who I think you are, not this right. horrible lady over yeah, here. Yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> I'll tell you a very brief and funny story uh, that relates to that, so that he was aware that she wasn't the horrible woman. I went to go see my personal idol, Ray Harryhausen, at the San Rafael Film Center once. And at the end of his program, uh, there was a montage of people, everyone from Steven Spielberg to... James Cameron wishing him happy birthday because mm-hmm. it was his birthday. And uh, the last person in this montage was his wife, who is this very, I suppose, attractive-looking, but very severe-looking English woman, very high cheekbones and eyes and everything. And very you know, almond-shaped eyes, but she was very severe-looking. And I know everyone will be thanking you, Ray, for your service to the world, but I'm going to wish you happy birthday anyhow. It was just kind of like a... A bad note, because everyone was gushing over him. And they show a montage of his work, and I elbowed my friend who was there, because it's like, sweet Jesus, his Medusa looks exactly like his wife. Oh my God, that's funny. (laughs) It was the same cheekbones and eyes and things, I'm going, huh. (laughs) Like, I wonder if it was projected. Yeah, it 100% was. And to, as far as she can, she's concerned, it 100% was not. Right. Yeah, so she would never see that. But it was terribly funny, so I could understand your idea that maybe Stephen King was trying to say, no, yeah, you're not that faculty yeah. wife, you're this faculty wife. This faculty wife. wife. So this movie um, was adapted into an actual comic book of the same name. Which is what I read when, you know, that was my first experience with it. Illustrated by Bernie Wrightson of mm-hmm. heavy, heavy Metal fame. 
Uh, a sequel, Creepshow 2, was released in 1987. We're going to talk about that one. It only has three stories, and, and they're all based on Stephen King short that's stories. That's scared the hell out of you? It is. Okay. Uh, then there was another sequel with no involvement for King or Romero, mm-hmm. or anyone else involved in the production of the first two, came out direct-to-video in 2007 to largely terrible reviews. We're going to go ahead and give that one a miss. Nope. What we may, however, watch is that another Creepshow television series was announced last year right? to be produced by Greg Nicotero and stream on Shudder. We have Shudder. We could stream it. Each episode will be two stories. Um, It was announced uh, in January of this year that one of the segments on the pilot episode will be based on the short story Survivor Type from Skeleton Crew. And Adrian Barbeau will return in a new role which will be it'll be good to see her. And Tobin Bell will contribute a role and he is the he's Jigsaw from the oh, okay. Saw movies. Alright. Uh so That's gonna be interesting. More creep show to come. Yeah, that is interesting. And by the way, something we didn't mention when we did um Salem's Lot is that there's yet another adaptation of Salem's Lot. There that's going is. To be, that's that going to be one will be that's from two thousand and four. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna have more Carrie, more Salem's Lot, more Shining, more Creepshow. Oh, no, there's going to be a new adaptation. Even oh, after another the two, one. And another one. Because of the popularity of uh, the Stephen king Oh, yeah, kind of. Is it going to be a Netflix thing? Uh, I believe it's going to be a Ford television rather than a, um, a theatrical release. But I'm not sure. I but don't believe don't it's know. Netflix. I, I think it might be a, net, uh, what do you call it, cable television. Let's see. In the news. Salem's Lot in the news is what I will do. James Wan's going to produce it. Mm-hmm. He produces things that make money. <laughs> I've never seen him before. Hello, James Wan. Oh, the New Line production. Big screen. Oh, okay. James Wan to produce adaptation of Stephen King's vampire novel, Salem's Lot, with uh, Gary Doberman. I think it's Doberman? It's a Doberman. Might it's be Doberman. Doberman. <laughs> <laughs> For the first time ever. As it has... It hasn't been on the big screen. No, it was... Uh, well, There's miniseries. Okay. The one that we watched, there was a three and a half hour, th- like, or less, theatrical cut that was made um, that was shown. It was very interesting. Right after we talked about it, you and I, on this program, uh-huh. someone brought it up on a Hammer film group that I'm a, a member of on Facebook. Oh, really? Okay. And saying, we know this isn't Hammer, but it feels like a Hammer film. There's all these character actors that got stuffed into little corners. There's... Mm. A, you know, taking the vampire very seriously. And a bunch of people who responded talked about the experience of watching that film, how it's like, yeah, this scared the hell out of me. It was a really scary movie. I was in Spain. They showed it in television as late as the 1990s. What is it? Not even, like, the late 90s or something. And it, it, it was a big hit there. It was a big hit in England when it was shown. And then other people were describing seeing a version of it in a... You like going to the movies and seeing a version of it that it was recut and released in parts of Europe theatrically. Oh, okay. So it it's been seen on the big screen, mm-hmm. but um, but not here. Salem's Lot will also be a uh, featured location in the second season of Castle Rock. Oh, wow. Okay. It's going to be dueling towns. There's nothing there though. It's all burnt to the ground, as far as we know. Well, I mean, times passed, so sometimes you rebuild. Yeah, so all of the first four things that we have done mm-hmm. will come back. Okay. So there's multiple carries, there's multiple Salem slots, there's multiple Shiningses, and there's multiple Creepshowses. 
The Shinings is is going to be very interesting to review. Our next. Mm-hmm. What's next? Film. You want to guess? No. It's one of one, two, three films uh-huh. from 1983, and it is Cujo. Oh, we're back to serious Stephen King. It'll be serious Stephen King. And this, this is uh, for those of you who haven't seen it that are following along. One hell of a performance. Yes. D. Wallace is incredible. Absolutely incredible. And she should, everyone should go on saying how incredible she is. <laughs> you can rent it on Amazon. That's probably what we're going to do. I'm not mm-hmm. seeing it free anywhere at the moment. Uh, but if I figure that out, I will put it in our show notes. Uh, but yes, Cujo next week. Uh, it's going to be real intense. Mm-hmm. It's going to be real, real intense. <laughs> Children will suffer, pets will suffer, moms will suffer. Talk about Old Testament. That movie is really... Do they keep the dog the same? Well, we'll watch it. Okay, we'll watch it. Uh, it is a St. Bernard, okay. Mm-hmm. I thought they had switched it to a Rottweiler or something. No. I'm like, Bleh, don't do that. That's okay. Carlo. Or Carl. Carl. Good dog, Carl. Good dog, Carl is a Rottweiler. Yes. That's right. And also, not an appropriate babysitter. No. I had a woman who hated that book that when I worked it at home. It's Holmes, very problematic. Like, good dog, my ass. I had one of those things that bit me. I had to go to the hospital. I really like Rottweilers and dislike Great Danes for similar reasons. So. Yeah. Well, you've never seen The Omen, I think. That puts you off Rottweilers, or was it Dobermans? I forget. Some black and brown dog. I think it was. I think it's Rottweilers. I don't know. Wide wide Rottweiler, narrow yeah. Doberman. <laughs> That's it. Okay, so do you have anything you'd like to recommend outside of the Kingiverse? Or inside of it, but not Cujo or Creepshow? We haven't watched a movie in a we while. We haven't watched a movie in a while. I can't... I We watched a movie, but we've talked about it since then. We're recording back to back. I have not, sadly enough. Any Godzilla things on that? I think, well, I will be seeing Godzilla. That's only my prediction. This will come out just prior to... Godzilla. No. Two weeks prior to Godzilla. Okay, this will be... Just prior prior to to Memorial Day weekend. So happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone. happy Memorial Day. So, yes, I haven't haven't been able to catch up mostly on my media. The the biggest thing that happened to me this week was visiting uh, Mormons. What about you? Do you have any... Anything to recommend? Not really. I, I would recommend watching. a podcast call Without Works. That is being... Yes, our new show Without Works. A yeah. uh, new episode came out last week. Mm-hmm. And we're up to three. We'd love some feedback. Rate us, review us. We'd love to subscribe. It's very different than this. It's very different than it this. It is very different from <laughs> this, just so that you know it's about explaining Christianity as a religion to people who are non-religious, and we have... Or to people who are religious but doing it wrong. Right. So <laughs> it's it's um, it's a program where I am the religious person, Amity is the non-religious person, and we discuss things, and she says, that sounds ridiculous, and I say, oh, you don't know, young lady, and then... We we have a lot of fun. So it is a fun religious podcast. It is. I think it's good. Uh, I'm really, I'm proud of it. So yeah, check that out. Uh, if we were recording this when we normally record, I'd be telling you John Wick 3 is what right. I love. So 
I'm preemptively saying. Yes. So <laughs> we, we're going to see John Wick to balance out our dog thing. That's right. Right. So we're going to see a bad dog and a good dog. Speaking of which, we should watch the other John Wick movies. What do you want to do now? I think we should watch the John Wick movies. Awesome. We're going to watch sh- people murder people, murder men and murder women. Right. <laughs> Murdering and each lots other. Lots of really great martial arts. Uh, and uh, we can be reached at latecomerspod at gmail.com or on Twitter at latecomerspod or on the Facebook group Latecomers Podcast. You can find us there. Subscribe, please. Our um, feed was all jacked up, and I am sorry. I just realized it, and I've tro- hopefully fixed it. It's back on Apple Podcasts now. It's, it should be on Google Play. Spotify should be updating appropriately. Uh, if you can't find us, you can go to Pinecast um, and find us there. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't know it was not working because as far as I knew via my subscription, it was working. So I apologize to everyone, uh, but it should be fixed. And so we thank you for listening and sticking with us even when stupid Orisusfi wants to fight me. And I remind you, take your medicine and remember... Better late than never.